The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions that you guys submit via the tip link. And by doing so, you're also supporting the channel. However, we usually don't have enough time to get through all the live comments and questions that get sent in. But if you sent in those comments or questions and you tip to the show to support us, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too long to get those questions answered. So we gather up those unused questions and we address them here on their very own companion video and uh, we had a great fun show today it was great i always look forward to mondays coming back to doing the show again and we do have a bunch of questions lined up that we got to get to so let's not waste any time and get right to them and we're going to start things off here today with chuck the mystery and chuck the mystery writes hey john while my favorite bond film is on her majesty's secret service casino royale is a close second so i've loved daniel craig as bond but i didn't love no time to die Having said that, I'd love a spinoff about Anna de Armas' character. She was amazing. That's That whole sequence, that whole segment of the movie was one of my favorite parts of the movie. But do not expect a spinoff of her character or Lashana Lynch, Lynch's character. I loved her character as well. Actually, Rob and I, you know, Rob didn't love the movie. Although, talking to Rob today, he's like saying things like, you know what, actually, the movie's really good. Uh, so I don't, know. I don't know how Rob ultimately feels. But even though in general, he didn't like the movie as much as me. Uh, he and I both agreed that Lashana Lynch was like really good in it too, but do not expect to see spinoffs of that. This James Bond world, this James Bond universe is now over. Uh, as far as we can tell from everything Barbara Broccoli has been saying, this James Bond universe is now done. And now we look forward to the launch of the next James Bond universe. So yeah, don't expect to see an Anna Darmus spinoff or Lashana Lynch spinoff. I think that would be fun, both of them. But apparently that's not what we're getting. But I really did like that whole sequence of the movie as well. All right. Ben Elman writes, one of two. I went to New York Comic Con this weekend. I was a little bit jealous. I, I saw a lot of people went. I met George Takei, Hayden Christensen, good Canadian kid, by the way. Uh, Jack Quaid, love him in uh, in The Boys. Uh, Dante Bosco, Zuko, and Janet Varney, Cora. I also was lucky enough to see an early preview screening of Dune with a surprise appearance by Denis Villeneuve. Like, that's pretty cool. Um, two of two. He thanked us all for seeing the film the way it was meant to be seen, on a big screen, and he wasn't lying. It was one of the most beautiful-looking films. I loved it, and I really hope part two gets made. Keep up the great work. All right, thanks for sending that in, Ben. And first of all, massively jealous that you got to see Dune before I did. It is the number one, my number one most anticipated movie of the year. I can't wait to watch it. And as of right now, I, I don't think I'm going to see it early. I think I'm going to see it on opening night with everybody else. Cannot wait to watch it. Uh, Rob told me the same thing, basically. He said, yeah, this is a movie you got to see on the biggest screen possible with the biggest sound possible. Now, as far as the sequel goes, I'm actually feeling very optimistic about the sequel because the people who are in charge of Warner Brothers won't be in charge of Warner Brothers by the time 
uh, it's time to make a sequel. Remember, Discovery is taking over Warner Brothers. Uh, in the first half of 2022 is when that acquisition is going to be made complete. They will then be in charge of it. I trust them a lot more than the current regime running Warner Brothers. And I think they will absolutely move forward with the second part to finish out the Dune story. So I'm feeling very optimistic about it. And again, Ben, I'm very, very jealous. All right. Erin uh, writes, I'm not saying that it should, but do you believe Dave Chappelle's The Closer will impact Netflix's future negotiations with talent and filmmakers? And if so, how much of an impact will there be? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Like, I've read about one, like, TV show producer saying they don't want to work with Netflix anymore. Listen, I'm not going to jump into any of the debates. I'm just going to say as an individual audience member who watched Dave Chappelle's The Closer, I thought it was hilarious. I really enjoyed it. I really like Dave Chappelle. Um, and I thought the whole thing was pretty good. But, you know, I, I don't see I don't see a lot of people saying to Netflix, oh, because somebody who had a comedy special said something that I don't like, I'm not going to work with Netflix at all. Um, I don't see that happening, at least not on any large scale. And listen, I certainly don't want to try speaking for anybody else. I, I, you're asking me my guess. That's my guess. I don't think that's going to be an issue. I, I could be wrong. Might be wrong, but that's my guess. All right, next up. Uh, Jason the Prescott, or Jason in Prescott writes, I love the aspects of marketing. I love the aspects of marketing, whether it may be junkets, tie-ins, PR stunts, trailers, etc. Uh, what movie for you has had the worst display of this? Of what? Uh, in the distance, an elk bellowed, a signal to a cow as strong as urine that covered his belly. Bring on the filthy. Um, I don't know what you're asking. I love aspects of marketing, uh, junkets, tie-ins, PR, stunts, trailers, etc. So that's all marketing. What movie for you has the worst display of this? Of marketing? and like, I'm not quite sure what you're asking, Jason. Are you asking what movie had the worst marketing? Um, well, John Carter, obviously we've been talking about John Carter a lot lately. That's That stands out to me. But I think the worst marketed movie I've seen is probably uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Or All You Need Is Kill, which is what it should have been called. Uh, Edge of Tomorrow was so badly marketed that it nobody knew what that movie was. And the marketing for it, both in the TV spots and the trailers and even the imagery they put out, it kind of gave this idea. Like, just look, at the end of the day, Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise film, is a high-intensity, time-traveling action alien invasion film and it's it's a wonderfully good time it's super entertaining but that whole movie was portrayed as some dour introspective trippy psychedelic with this you know really weird song choice for their trailers this is not the end and it's like what what and then i think all of us were stunned and surprised when we went to go watch the movie and it was actually badass and absolutely incredible so again i'm not sure if that's what you're asking jason or not but if you're asking just generally like one of the worst marketed films i've ever seen uh that would probably go to edge of tomorrow with uh, tom cruise and emily blunt all right next up ben rayner writes Hey, John. Hope it was a great weekend. It was a great weekend. Thank you for asking. Have you seen the clip for the new season of The Animaniacs? I have not, as a matter of fact. Uh, it's their take on 80s cartoons, and it had me rolling. I want to know your thoughts. Thanks, and as always, bring on the filthy. Hashtag 80s cats. Um, I love Animaniacs. I have since I was a lot younger. 
you know, I can still sing Lake Titicaca or the countries of the world or, you know, recite a lot of the gags. I love Animaniacs, but no, uh, as of right now, Ben, I have not seen any of the clips or anything for the new season, but I will absolutely keep my eyes open for them. Thanks for, I didn't even know a new clip was out. So thank you so much, Ben, for putting that on my radar. All right, next up, we've got Crashing Coyote and Crashing Coyote writes, uh, the finales for Heels and Ted Lasso dropped and I loved both. F Nate the Wank. I hate Nate. I hate, I've been saying for a couple of weeks, I want somebody on that show to literally murder Nate. Anyway, uh, Stephen Amell does uh, a great job. Of course, that's for Heels. Uh, Ludwig's great too. Uh, CM Punk has a small role, but it's utilized perfectly and great writing. Uh, better than Loki because Michael Waldron also wrote Doctor Strange 2 and uh, Feige's Star Wars movie. He made me love every single character for a different reason. Not a single one wasted. The show is mostly about family. Every piece of action has narrative purpose. The finale is a perfect example of that. I was blown away and has a 96% critic rating score on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and listen, I have been saying for a while, I'm going to watch Heels. I just don't know. I haven't gotten around to it. Like, I'll support anything that Stephen Amell does. I'll at least doesn't mean I'll automatically like anything Stephen Amell does, but I will try anything Stephen Amell is offering up. And Heels, is, of course, revolves around the world of professional wrestling, something that I grew up with and that Anne grew up with as well. So I will definitely be giving shit, but I haven't even started watching it yet. As far as the season finale for Ted Lasso, uh, it was a solid season finale, highlighted my desire that I wish somebody would murder Nate. Uh, I was really hoping it was going to be Roy, of course, or Beard. Beard could have done it. I would have been happy with that, too. Anyway, it just leaves me wanting a lot more for season three. I cannot wait for season three. Thanks for writing that in, Crashing. All right, next up. My Comic Planet writes, one of two. So I finished watching Scenes from a Marriage. That's the Oscar Isaac thing. I have not watched it yet, to be honest with you. I It's Honestly, not even on my queue right now. But anyway, uh, so I finished watching Scenes from a Marriage. Uh, and wow, both Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain put on a clinic in acting. The intimate sex scenes in particular, they were both fearless. And I know both of them are married in real life. So watching those scenes for their spouses could not have been comfortable a comfortable experience because at times the sex looks so real and how many takes uh did they have to do like that lol what do you think about the show and emmy noms again i don't watch the show i haven't seen it although i love everybody involved with it uh i i don't watch nearly as much tv as a lot of people do although i've been watching more and more television lately i gotta say but it's an interesting topic you bring up about sex scenes you know aaron cummings who has done a lot of shows. I mean, and she has been in shows like Mad Men and uh, Masters of Sex and things like that where sex scenes and intimacies, uh, intimate scenes are important. Her husband, Tom, is an actor, and he's had to do intimacy scenes and things like that, too. And Aaron, and I believe she talked about this on the show once, maybe it was like over a year ago, but Aaron said her and Tom have a really good way of looking. It's like, look, when you're on set, you're playing a role. You're playing a role. Whether you're murdering somebody, because maybe your character's a murderer, we know you're not actually a real murderer. And, you know, if on set you're doing the job and your character is supposed to be in love with this other woman or your character is supposed to be in love with this other man and you have a passion intimacy scene, we know your character playing a role. We understand that. It's not a big deal. Now, for some other actors... That could be an issue, but I mean, I think probably most actors probably take the point of view that Aaron and Tom have that, hey, listen, we are actors 
pretending to be other characters. And this other character is going to be, you know, has this uh, intimate moment with this other character. And it's not me doing it, it's the character. And they understand that. And to them, it's not a big deal. And I think that's a really healthy way of looking at it. Now, of course, I'm not an actor, so I, I, <laughs> who cares what I think about it? But, you know, the way Aaron describes it, I think that sounds like a, a really healthy, rational, level-headed way of looking at it. Like, yeah. The character is doing something. It's not your partner doing something. It's the character doing it. So I think that's a good way of looking at it. All right. Good question, my comic. Next up, we've got Mighty JT, who tipped in like $50. Thank you, Mighty JT, for supporting our channel on that level, man. Really appreciate that. It's very generous of you, dude. Thank you so much. Um, One of four. Uh, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much. It's always the highlight of my morning. Like most comic fans, I have a quick theory for No Way Home. I agree with you that Spidey is going to end up in the Venomverse by the end of the movie. That's that's been my theory for a long time. Uh, But one question is, will his supporting cast be joining him as well? I think so, yes. Uh, If you remember a few snowy set photos came out a few months ago showing Peter seemingly rehearsing a speech on a piece of paper before going into a bakery that MJ is working at. My theory is, what if this isn't the MCU MJ? Oh, I don't think that's true at all. Uh, But instead, the Venomverse counterpart, nah. Uh, I can see this being a very bittersweet ending, but an interesting one going into the future films, where Peter has to build new relationships with these new versions of the characters. Uh, We know the film takes place at Christmas, or at least what we know is, is that a part of the film takes place at Christmas. Uh, We don't know that the whole movie, we don't even know that much of the movie takes place at Christmas, but we know there's at least one scene that takes place at Christmas, and it would be sad for Peter to be alone on Christmas. Thoughts? Again, love the show, and I I hope I run into you at AMC Tyler, and AMC Tyler Galleria is the, that's my home movie theater now. Now that Ann and I have moved out of Burbank and we live in Riverside, uh, the AMC Tyler Galleria is where we like to go to our movies. Um, So look, I have had this theory for years now. Now, if you guys, let's revisit this again for a second. If you guys remember a couple of years ago, Disney and Sony announced they ended their deal with Spider-Man. And at D23, the big Disney event, when Tom Holland was out on stage to talk about uh, Onward, the animated uh, Disney film that he did a voice of, he used that opportunity to give a very heartfelt goodbye to the the Disney fans because he was no longer going to be Spider-Man in the MCU. Um, and then a few days after that, Marvel and Sony announced they did extend their deal for a couple of more films, which they said was done, but now they said, okay, we're going to extend it for a few more films. And at that time, I believe that the reason they extended it was, you know what, this is a good thing. So let's give it a proper ending. Let's because it's it was going to be if it ended right there, it would have been very abrupt and very awkward. I think both for trying to introduce Spider-Man back into Sony and for the Marvel going, where did suddenly Spider-Man go? So I believed just me believing it's not insider information. It's, I, I didn't have a secret source in Marvel. Tell me this. This was just what I as a fan speculated. I believed that a couple of years ago. They did that so they could properly end Spider-Man's stint in the MCU. Now, fast forward a couple of years. I believe that more than ever. I believe that Spider-Man No Way Home, and again, I have no insider. This is just me as a fan speculating as much as anybody else. I might be right. I might be wrong. Irrelevant. I'm just telling you what's on my mind, okay? So I kind of believe now more than ever that Spider-Man No Way Home is ultimately going to culminate either immediately or setting up 
Spider-Man exiting the MCU and heading over into the Sony-verse. That's what I think is happening. And I believe that for a while. It may, it may not. Whatever, I'm not putting $1,000 on it. I'm just saying that's what I kind of think. Now, if that happens, and again, that's a big if, but if that happens, I believe Ned, played by Jacob Bartolone, Filipino kid, so that obviously is very popular around here, uh, Zendaya, hell, even Marissa Tomei as Aunt May, I believe these characters will go with him. That's, that's my guess. It's just pure guess. I, I don't know. But I believe this character is going with them because they can't stay in the MCU. Like once Sony takes back the Spider-Man characters, there's no place in the MCU for Ned and MJ and Aunt May. Right? So they can't be there. So they might as well bring them over. That's my guess. No, maybe they don't. And Spider-Man just finds himself in the Spider-Verse or in the Sony-Verse. And now he's got to re-meet that universe's versions of those characters. Uh, but even if that's the case, I don't think much of this movie would be focused on that. I think that would all be something that happens at the very, very, very end. So, no, I think those scenes we see Peter walking in a snowy New York, I think that's a part of the main part of the movie. I don't think that's the post credit scene or anything like that. So uh, that's my guess, Mighty. Uh, JT, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, we'll find out, and maybe as we see new trailers, we'll have to adjust our theories, but that's where I'm at right now. Anyway, man, thank you for writing that in, supporting our channel on that level, and thanks for sharing your thoughts and your theories on that as as well, man. appreciate that. It's a fun thing to talk about. All right, next up, Spencer Nielsen writes, Hey, John, I apologize if this comes off more critical than intended. Uh, There's just this frustrating inconsistency I've noticed uh, many I've noticed many in the movie sphere indulging in. Perhaps you could help me out. You often say, and I would agree, that the biggest problem concerning Spider-Man in the MCU is that philosophically, the movies don't seem to think Spidey is a good enough character to lead his own franchise. He needs an Iron Man or a Doctor Strange to mentor him. However, when it comes to the upcoming Batman uh, we are calling The Flash, any all anyone cares about is Batman. This includes pundits, fans, and Andy Muschietti alike. I get it to a degree. Batman is the second most important superhero ever. Maybe the most important, depending on who you ask. Uh, And people like Michael Keaton in the role for some reason. But why can't we try to sell a Flash movie on how cool the Flash is? Marvel can get people excited for Shang-Chi, Ant-Man, and the freaking Eternals without promising an appearance by Thor. With the director of It Chapter 2, the writer of Shut In and Birds of Prey, uh, and starring the horribly miscast Ezra Miller, I disagree. Just going to stop you right there, Spencer. I completely disagree with you. I think Ezra Miller is... I really like his iteration of Barry Allen. I think he brings that sense of genius yet socially awkwardness and quirky. I really like his iteration of uh, Barry Allen a lot. So I respect that you think he's horribly miscast, but I'm just going to stop you there and let you know I completely disagree with your assessment. But that's just that's your opinion. That's my opinion. There it is. Anyway. The inclusion of the Batmans feels desperate. I spent my quarantine reading Mark Wade and Jeff John's comic runs, and there's an entire um, 
there's an entire world full of colorful characters to flesh out, and it's very disappointing no one seems to care about how The Flash will be presented in his own solo movie. Am I crazy? In any case, thank you for taking my question. You're a real guy. <laughs> there's, that, there's that little Kevin Feige half-cap lament. He's a nice guy. He's a real guy. Thanks for throwing that in, Spencer. Well, look, I would say a couple of things, Spencer. Let's break this down into a couple of separate sub-issues. One, let's start with the last thing you said. The Flash, why can't they present The Flash? Why are they put Look, understand this. They haven't even started marketing this movie. This movie hasn't even begun being marketed. The studio is not only pushing Batman. There hasn't been a single piece of marketing that's come from the studios yet about this movie. So there's no point in us lamenting or debating about why is Warner Brothers putting all the emphasis on Batman instead of Flash in the Flash's movie when they haven't put any emphasis on anybody yet. They haven't talked about this thing. This hasn't come out yet. There's been no marketing for this yet. So, and and I truly believe that once the marketing starts and we start seeing trailers and things like that, you're going to see the emphasis will be on Barry Allen. There, there will certainly be Batman highlights of that, I'm sure. But I think you're going to see, I think what we'll all see is that the big emphasis is going to be on Flash. So there's that. The other thing you mentioned was throwing in the Batmans and stuff like that seems desperate, but you got to understand what the storyline is, right? This isn't just a Flash movie. This is Flashpoint. They're telling their own iteration of Flashpoint here. It's not going to be exactly the way it was in the comics or exactly the way it was in the animated Flashpoint movie that they did. But this whole story is based on the Flashpoint storyline. If you understand that, then you know why Batman is in there. In particular, you might even give us some insight as to why the Michael Keaton Batman is there. And I'm just speculating about that. But when you know that they're doing their iteration of Flashpoint, It's really not unusual or awkward or unexpected that a or multiple Batman would be appearing in the film. That just kind of makes sense. See, it's not like Spider-Man Homecoming where there literally was no reason for Tony Stark to be in there. Granted, it worked. It did work. I, I thought the relationship between Tony and, and uh, Tom was great, or Peter, I should say, played by Tom Holland. I thought it was great, and I thought they, they didn't overuse Iron Man. Like, I was really afraid they were going to overuse Iron Man, but he only had several minutes of screen time in the film. They used him sparingly, and I liked that. And it worked. And it worked. The, the other thing to keep in mind here is that The Flash is not Spider-Man. There's an argument to be made that Spider-Man is like the most popular comic book character of the past, you know, 30 years. I mean, argument, obviously an argument to be made for Batman or Superman, but Spider-Man is so globally beloved and has been globally beloved forever. I don't really think you can draw a comparison between him and the Flash. Flash is a great character, but the Flash isn't even in the top, you know, three or four of his own DC universe whereas spider-man i mean you can argue spider-man is the most popular marvel character of all time and certainly ranks up there amongst the most popular comic book characters of all time right so i think there's a little bit of a false equivalency there so i would say this 
Number one, nobody, Warner Brothers is not putting an emphasis on the Batman instead of the Flash because we haven't even seen trailers or marketing for the film yet. Let's wait to see how it comes out. And when it does, I'm confident it will be Flash centric. Number two, when you understand that this is heavily influenced and in their version of a Flashpoint storyline, then you get why Batman's going to be in there. It's not just to shoehorn him in there for no reason, kind of like the way they did with Iron Man. There's actually, this is part of the narrative. This is part of the story. And so he's there. So I wouldn't worry about that at all. And again, Flash and Spider-Man are two characters that are on different levels. So I wouldn't really worry about comparing them on that level. So at the end of the day, Spencer, I think what I'm trying to say here is I don't think you have anything to worry about. At least I certainly don't think you have anything to worry about yet. Okay. I think the marketing will start. I think it will be flash heavy. It will show us that Batman is in there, but it will be flash heavy. Plus, when you, then you might say, well, why did they even bring up that Batman is going to be in there? Well, because, listen, Michael Keaton coming back as Batman is going to be the number one story in the movie world when that story drops. And it's going to draw tons of attention to the project. Because I'll, I'll guarantee you this. If it was just a flash movie was coming, we'd talk about it. And we'd be aware that it's coming, kind of like everybody's aware that there's a Black Adam movie coming. But the reason people are talking about the Flash movie as much as they are, the reason there's as many eyeballs on this Flash project that there are is because Michael Keaton is going to be putting on the cowl again. And that gets everybody talking. So, uh, again, I don't think you have anything to worry about yet now. Once they start the marketing, if they it's if all the marketing for the Flash movie is nothing but Batman, 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 well, then maybe we need we need to revisit this conversation. But for now, I'm going to say, Spencer, that there's nothing to worry about. So let's see how that turns out. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man, and for articulating your thoughts that way, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Next up, we got Marie Seifring who writes, hey, John and crew. When a drive-in charges a fee per car instead of per person, how are those ticket purchases included in calculations of number of tickets sold for a movie? Thanks. I don't think they are. Uh, Because ultimately, number of tickets sold is an irrelevant uh, data point. The real data point is money generated. That's the alt. That's the data point they're looking for. So when a car goes to drive in and pays whatever amount they have to pay to get in for the car, it just registers that dollar amount. It doesn't register it on a per individual basis. And by the way, the other thing that renders it as a moot data point is the fact that such a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the box office comes from drive-ins. Which is unfortunate because I love the drive-in experience. And, you know, Ann and I, I know a lot of you guys took advantage of the drive-in experience when we were right in the middle of the pandemic stuff. And the only way to go to the movies was to go to the drive-in. That was was fun, man. Ann and I did that a number of times, had a really good time. But the reality is it represents such a tiny fraction of what the box office is that it's really moot. Uh, But again, the real data point there is money generated, and that's what gets, gets counted. Thank, good question, though, Marie. All right, next up. Kill Nate. That's what I've been saying for weeks, man, writes. You look powerful. You look like a mill. Favorite line from Ted Lasso so far. I don't know, man. There's so many great lines in Ted Lasso. I mean, most of them for me come from Roy Kent, but the lines also from Ted himself beard has some great lines keely i mean they all every character is always given so many great lines but yes kill nate that was definitely a good one as well all right next up we've got norman who writes hey john 
the last duel opens this week. Yep. Ann and I've got our tickets and I'm bummed that it isn't showing on any Dolby or IMAX screens, only regular stereo in my area. Just seems like the kind of movie that would be awesome in Dolby, but Bond and Venom are holding the premium theaters. Thanks. Yeah. Ann and I, I got in, Ann and I were invited to an early screening of the last duel for last week. But the reality is this is why I don't go to a lot of the screenings anymore um, is that it's a little bit of effort for me to get to them now because I, again, Ann and I, at the beginning of this year, we moved out of the main Los Angeles area and we moved about an hour further away into a city called Riverside. Um, And that's where we live now. So for me to get into LA you know, to get to one of these theaters that they're doing the early screenings of, sometimes the press screenings, sometimes they're at, they're a studio screening, whatever. It takes me like a minimum hour and a half, sometimes two hours or more just to drive there. Now, I'll do that for the odd movie. Like I did that for Venom and I did that for Suicide Squad and uh, things like that. But I, I don't know. It, I didn't feel like driving in the middle of the week into town for it so i I skipped it but ann and i have our tickets for opening night for the last duel and again it's the kind of movie that i don't know that it needs to be in the best theater like it's not i don't think we're going to see the ten thousand man armies rushing at each other or anything like that this is more of a character movie so i think it'll be okay but either way man i'm telling you norma i'm very very much looking forward to this movie yeah ridley scott directing it who seems to be back to the height of his power you got a screenplay by Uh, by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, who won an Academy Award the last time they wrote a screenplay together. You've got Adam Driver in this, who's like, this is going to be one of Adam Driver's years because he's got this. He's got the House of Gucci that looks also looks awesome. I mean, everything about this damn thing looks great. Uh, uh, Comer's in it. The, The trailers look fantastic. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see this movie, man. All right, next up. Donda writes... When comparing Bond versus Venom, when I said younger audiences, I meant millennials and Gen Z. As we saw with Bond's opening box office of 56 million, it's clear that millennials don't care about Bond all that much, and the older demographic still may not want to go to theaters. See, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that that's true because I haven't seen an actual breakdown report yet. I'm sure it's going to come. And maybe once the report comes, maybe it'll show that. But I haven't seen a breakdown of the audience yet as to those who went to go see it. Plus, remember, the North American response to the movie has been very different than international because it's been breaking records around the rest of the world. As a matter of fact, this James Bond No Time to Die movie, I talked about this on the John Campus show earlier today. We've all been pointing to Free Guy, awesome Ryan Reynolds movie, directed by Sean Levy. Uh, Free Guy's being a great example of a big movie success in the pandemic era, right? Well, uh, James Bond No Time to Die has almost already, almost, not quite, but it's almost made as much money as Free Guy has. It's made over $300 million worldwide already. So it's, I don't know if... James Bond, No Time to Die, making $56 million in North America is an indicator of younger audiences versus older audiences, or if it's really more a case of, listen, James Bond is just a character that is far more popular in the rest of the world than he is here. So I don't know what the answer to that is, but I think once we get a look at the breakdown of the demographics of people who went to the movie, it might give us a little bit more insight. But anyway, thanks for following up on that, Don. I appreciate that, man. All right, next up, Anton Riley writes, 
Hello, John. Did you hear that Netflix has greenlit a That 70s Show revival called That 90s Show? Deborah Jo Rupp, who was great in WandaVision, by the way, uh, and the guy that played Red Foreman are returning to reprise their roles. I did hear about this, and I didn't care. <laughs> and the reason I didn't care is I never watched That 70s Show. I mean, <clears throat> I watched a few episodes. I'll be honest with you, it was it was never for me. I know a lot of people like just love that show love that 70s show and i respect that i i the few episodes i saw i didn't hate it just wasn't for me that's all that's all nothing wrong with it i'm just saying it wasn't for me that's all so i never really watched it so since i didn't watch it i don't really care that they're doing a 90s show but i will say this doing that 90s show the fact that they are actually bringing those original characters back who are now literally 20 years older and now it's the 90s I think it's an interesting move, and I hope that people who were fans of that 70s show will give it a shot. All right, thanks for writing that in, Anton. Uh, Next up, the Super Korean writes, Hi, John and Rob. Obviously, Rob's not here right now. So I think Henry Cavill, Idris Elba, and Tom Hardy would be great James Bonds, but I always thought that Henry Golding would be a great James Bond, too. Listen, I talked on the show once before that I think Henry Golding would be a magnificent James Bond. Anyway, I personally think they need to get young so they can do it for a long time. Well, I mean... How old was Daniel Craig when he took over Bond? I think Craig was in his mid-30s. And he's played Bond for 15 years. So I don't think you need to get somebody terribly young. But I'll tell you what. I love all those names. If they announce Idris Elba as James Bond, great. If they uh, announce Tom Hardy as James Bond, great. If they announce Henry Cavill as James Bond, great. Henry Golden. I'll tell you another name. Somebody brought this name up the other day, and I'm like, yeah, Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender would make a really good James Bond. Uh, now, he's already a little bit older. Actually, how old um, is he now? A second. How old is um, uh, Michael Fassbender? Michael Fassbender is 44. Okay, so maybe he couldn't play James Bond for 15 years like Daniel Craig did, but he's still young enough that he could play Bond for a good three or four movies. Like, for a good 10, 11, 12 years, he could play Bond. I I think he'd be really good. But again, I'm happy with any of those names. But Henry Golding would be a little bit different because, obviously, Asian heritage. But he is so fucking suave. Henry Golding is so fucking suave. I absolutely think he would make a great James Bond. My first pick would also would obviously be Henry Cavill, but again, X actor and X role. As long as they get a super talented person to play the role, I'm good for it. Idris Elba, Henry Golding, Henry Cavill, a lot of lot of great names. Probably a hundred other names that we're not even thinking about would be great too. But it'll be interesting to see which direction they go. All right, next up, Super Korean also writes. Hey, John and Rob. Obviously, again, Rob's not here. So I thought Kerry Fukunaga uh, was directing. His directing was great in No Time to Die. Do you think he'll ever direct an MCU movie or Star Wars? What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, listen, he was great. He did a great job directing the film, I thought. And also, don't forget that he you know, directed, um, uh, 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 I almost said Free Detective, True Detective. Well, I was about to say Free Detective. I'm not sure. Um, he did a magnificent job with Beasts of No Nation uh, that he worked with Idris Elba on. And he even did, I remember the first time I talked to uh, Kerry, the first time I got a chance to do a one-on-one interview with him was for his really good 
iteration of Jane Eyre. He did a really good iteration of Jane Eyre that I thought was really quite good. And I got it. That was the first time I, I'd ever really even heard of him. And I got sat down and one of the very first interviews I did, uh, one of the first um, celeb interviews I did for AMC was him. And, but again, look, could he do a Star Wars movie or an MCU movie? Of course, any director in the world right now could. Any director that looks like they have some promise could. Whether they will or not, not sure. But, I mean, again, it's the same as actors. I'm not an ex-director directing ex-movie person. All I care about is do you get a really gifted uh, visionary, uh, someone with a lot of uh, creativity director to direct any of those movies. Carrie would fit under that category. So I'd be totally good if he did. And sure, he's got a shot at doing as much as anybody. All right. Next up, we go to BB Kingpin, who writes, Triple header this past weekend, Shang-Chi, Venom, and Many Saints of Newark. I think Many Saints of Newark was the best. Yeah, I'll be honest. I wasn't, I was kind of disappointed with Many Saints of Newark. I I didn't think, I I was super excited for that movie. I didn't think it was all that good, actually. But that's just me. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, Many Saints of Newark was the best. Then Venom, uh, last was Shang-Chi. Looked good, but the same boring MCU, predictably. Uh, Venom was okay, but kind of went off the rails towards the end. Well, obviously, I disagree with you about all three of those. (laughs) And that's the beauty of film fandom, right? Is that we look at these movies in different ways. Uh, I thought Many Saints of Newark was a disappointment. Uh, I, I could not believe the the pacing of that movie. I could not believe the the uh, obvious just, look, everybody, that's Big Puss. Rem- ah, remember him from the show, everybody? I mean, it felt a little bit more like that, but not really focusing any of the story. I mean, the fact that they built it all around Tony's uncle, it just... While having all those auxiliary pieces of the puzzle that were recognizable for Sopranos and the story itself just wasn't all that good, I didn't feel. But anyway, that's just me. You loved it. And that's great. Obviously, Shang-Chi, I think, was one of the most entertaining. You know, I was talking to Rob today. Rob still feels like Shang-Chi is the most entertaining film of the year. And I, I don't know that I call it the best film of the year right now, but most entertaining. I would agree with them on that. And I had a great time at Venom. But everybody has different opinions about that. But hey, listen, man, your opinion of those movies are no less and no more valid than mine. I'm glad you're sharing them. And uh, the important thing is you had a good time at Manny Saints New York, and I'm glad you did, man. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. All right, next up, we've got Scott Brown who writes, I really enjoyed Bond. It wasn't as good as, say, Skyfall, but it was like a very good series finale, and you got to say goodbye to all of your favorite characters. The ending was surprising and really got to me, and Anna de Armas was incredibly sexy and badass. Yeah, I agree. Not my favorite Daniel Craig era Bond film. Like, I still put Casino Royale number one, Skyfall number two, and then I would put No Time to Die. But I definitely have it up there as one of the really good ones. You know, and then he had a couple ones that weren't so great. Quantum of Solace, Spectre weren't so good, even though he is a great Bond. But those ones weren't so good. But yeah, I really enjoyed this film. I thought the ending was wonderful. And yes, you're right. That Anna de Armas whole portion of the movie was fantastic. I really lament that we're not going to get to see Bond and that character together more on screen moving forward. All right, next up. An anonymous viewer writes, I finally went back to New York Comic Con after five years. I haven't been there since 2016. Biggest highlight was getting a photo op and autograph with Hayden Christensen. Again, good Canadian kid. He signed my Luke Skywalker Mandalorian hallway scene poster. I don't know why you'd get him to sign that. I mean, he he's not in that scene. I, I would have brought him something else to sign, but whatever. Hey, getting that autograph is pretty damn cool. And it's really nice to see. I remember 
I was at Star Wars Celebration Orlando a couple of years ago. And it was the first time in forever that Hayden Christensen had come out to do public appearances like this, especially for a Star Wars thing. And you know me, I hate the prequels. I do. But it was so good to see um, that he was back and that he was letting the fans love on him. And it was just a really good experience being there in that giant auditorium at Star Wars Celebration Orlando and just the response the audience gave him. It just it was really, really good. Like, you don't have to appreciate those movies. I certainly don't. But to appreciate a guy who spent years of his life contributing to the overall Star Wars lore, whether we like the results or not is irrelevant. And to see him get that kind of love. Especially as a good Canadian kid, it was good to see that too. And uh, yeah, hey man, listen, he's one of the guys I've never met. I've never met Hayden Christensen. And there's not a lot of them that I haven't met. And he was one of them. I've never met him. Uh, I think interviewing him would be really cool. And the fact that you got to meet him, get his autograph, that's pretty awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Anonymous. All right, next up. BWL1979 writes, Something troubles me uh, with the online movie fan community. Well, we're a great group, but there are problems with us. Uh, We we admit it. Um, That is the rabid, rampant, and blatant disregard for the rights and feelings of fictional characters. (laughs) Fictional characters have feelings, too. So I say, stop the virtuent (laughs) anti-fictionalism. Obviously, that's said with sarcasm. You know, it is crazy how offended you see some people get over a fictional character. Like, like I, I have seen online debates and even been a part of them where you just see somebody get so defensive and it's like, it's completely unfair for you to judge them like that when they have this, this, this. And it's like, whoa, 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 time out, time out. Let me ask you a serious question. Real talk here. You do know that that's not a real person, right? Like, you do know this is a fictional character. It's not a real person with real feelings. You'd be surprised, guys. You'd be surprised how people get so defensive over, like, fictional, non-real-life characters. It is kind of crazy. You know, maybe we've all done it, too, and not even realized it. Anyway, thanks for that, BWL. Next up, Logan James Kynaston writes, one of two. As of writing this, I just finished watching Johnny Depp's new film, Minamata. Uh, It's extremely well acted, emotional, and in my opinion, Johnny's best in years. I grew up loving his films, but I've not been excited for his work since Black Mass. Then, before Black Mass, it was years of not being excited for his films. I personally feel he doesn't need the big Hollywood blockbusters anymore. He's made his money doing those. Now he can focus on small, independent films like Minamata. Yeah, and listen... I don't think anybody on the planet, uh, well, I, I mean, obviously every actor, no matter how good or bad, has their fans and their detractors. So whatever. But generally speaking, I think most people all agree. Johnny Depp, when he's on his game, and he's not always on his game, but when Johnny Depp is on his game, he is a hell of an actor. Hell of an actor. And unfortunately, he went through this big, long period in his career where he just played all these absurd characters. But... That aside, I mean, playing absurd characters gave us, you know, Captain Jack Sparrow, who was great, at least for one movie, but he's a terrific performer. Now, how many people are going to be willing to work with him? How many investors are going to want to actually put their money up, believing they can make their money back with him being in the movie? That's that's going to be problematic, Uh, whether it should be problematic or shouldn't be problematic. 
whether that's fair or unfair, that's not relevant. The, the, the relevancy here is, will it be difficult? It will. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how his career progresses from this point, especially once the American trial is done. And however the American trial turns out, that's going to be very interesting to see. So we'll have to see, man. We'll have to see. All right. Next up, uh, Ryan Loner writes one of two. I'm perfectly fine with people not liking what if as much as I did, but there is one criticism that keeps coming up that really ticks me off. They should have done more with Chadwick Boseman's last appearance. Like these people do realize no one had any idea who was going to die, right? Yeah, I and you know, here's the other part of that, Ryan, that bothers me. The shows shows and movies are not there to serve the actors. Actors are there to serve the stories. And yes, you obviously make the most valid point. Like no, when they designed this show and wrote this show, nobody, they didn't know. I mean, obviously there were some people who knew, but they didn't know that Chadwick Boseman was going to die. They didn't know that. They didn't know, oh, we have to make this the big send-off. But nor should they, after Chadwick Boseman passed, should they have gone back and rewritten it to be a T'Challa show just so they could highlight Chadwick Boseman more. And again, I don't want that to sound insensitive, but as as the great Chadwick Boseman, I'm sure would agree that the story comes first and they had their story and this is what the story is. And this is T'Challa's role in the story. And you don't change that up for an actor who's playing that character or voicing the character in that degree. But again, you raised the most valid point, right? It's like they didn't know. They didn't know. So that I would say. You know, most criticisms are fair criticisms. That is not a fair criticism. That That's a dumb criticism. So I agree with you on that one, Ryan. All right, next up. We've got Andrew Gifford who writes, Hey, John, how about that Bills versus Chiefs game, 38 to 20? I, for one, welcome our new Bills overlords. Well, I mean, the Bills also lost to the Steelers uh, this year. So I'm, I'm not ready to fly the Bill flags just yet. And yeah, they beat Kansas City. But Kansas City is two and three this year now. They've got a losing record. This was the Super Bowl favorites coming into the season. I mean, some people will say that that was still the Buccaneers, but if not the Buccaneers, the Super Bowl favorites were the Kansas City Chiefs. They're two and three right now. So, look, I am one of the people who believes, especially with Josh Allen, and, and that this is a extremely good team. But they did lose to the Steelers. And this season, beating the Chiefs doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. They're, they've got a losing record. So I'm not going to overreact just yet, but the Bills are damn good. They are damn good. All right, next up, uh, Toshi Victor writes, Hey, John, hope you're doing well. I am doing well, thank you. Uh, Saturday was a great day for boxing. It, it really was. That, that fight was incredible. Fury Wilder 3 was the very, very rare boxing um, event that was actually worth watching. Their boxing basically isn't worth watching in my opinion anymore, but that fight lived up to all the hype. That fight was incredible. Anyway, Saturday was a great day for boxing. Despite losing, I've got to give Wilder credit for fighting as hard as he did. He took some KO shots and looked on top for a bit. The Sanchez fight was also pretty fun to see. Um, also, I'm going to see No Time to Die this week, but I haven't seen the other Bond films. Will I be able to follow the movie in spite of this? Thanks for all you do. Toshi, what I would at least suggest is 
at least watch Casino Royale before you go see it. At least watch Daniel Craig's first Bond film to give you at least a little bit of a primer into this. Because while you can still follow the movie, this is one of those that really is built upon the previous movies. Like, you're going to see Blofeld in this movie, and you're going to have no idea what his relevance is. Because you didn't see Spectre. Now, I don't think you have to watch all of them, but at least do yourself the favor, Toshi, of going back and watching Casino Royale. Like, I'm not going to say give yourself four movies of homework, but at least watch Casino Royale. That, that would be my recommendation. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, man. All right, Andrew Gifford writes, John, Downey and Chris Evans will return to the MCU. I have no doubt about that. Maybe not for 20 years, but look at current franchise capitalizing on nostalgia. Marvel Studios won't resist. It will be Marvel's Force Awakens equivalent when we are all old and nostalgic. Well, I'm not even sure the MCU is still going in 20 years, but uh, yeah, you know me, guys. I have zero doubt, zero doubt that both Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. will be back. Hmm. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, hell, maybe not even in three years. But I have zero doubt in my mind, man, they will be back. Uh, I don't think we'll have to wait 20 years, but I do think they'll be back, Andrew. So anyway, well said, man, well said. Next up, Sam Brown writes, I saw Dune at the New York Film Festival over the week, among French dispatch, passing, and more. I heard passing is good, by the way. Um, Never read the book, and I was able to follow it perfectly fine. Incredible film. Also, man, watch out for passing. It's an an absolutely beautiful piece of art. It's on Netflix soon. So I'm glad you wrote that in, Sam, because when on the John Campy show earlier today, Robert gave, because Robert's seen Dune, I have not. Uh, super jealous. Um, so Robert has seen Dune. He loved it, but one of the questions he brought up was, I just don't know if people who don't know Dune will be able to appreciate it or follow it. And we had some people writing in saying, yeah, audiences are saying they're liking it. And Sam, you just said yourself that you've never read it, you didn't understand it, and you were able to follow it perfectly fine. So I appreciate you throwing in your two cents on that and giving us a little bit more perspective on that. And it just makes me more excited for Dune. And again, totally not jealous that you've already seen it, and I have not. All right, uh, next up. We've got Orange Grove 55 writes, Deadline reported No Time to Die demo skewed older. Uh, is this one example of a film that would have benefited from a day-date release? No, would have killed the movie. Uh, to allow older audiences to watch from home. Thank you, John. No, it just would have killed the movie. It just why And why? I mean, the audience, the older audiences went out to see the movie. And putting it out day and just would have killed the film. I mean, that's already been well established. So, no, this is not an example where it would have benefited from that at all. It just would have hurt the movie even more, significantly more. So, no. All right. Arturo writes, hey, John and Rob. So, and obviously Rob's not here. So, I saw No Time to Die, and I felt a bit disappointed. Uh, it was still a great movie. But for me, Rob helped me see why I felt that way. The last few Bond movies haven't had that agent spy thrill. To me, Bond has always been a cool and suave uh, the only time I felt Bond was Bond was when he was in the scene with Anand Armas in the bar. This is a great scene. Uh, and that was the only time I felt like I was watching a Bond movie. They added a bit of humor and the way he carried himself was cool. I mean, but here's the thing. I, I give I give Robert some crap for this, too. To me, that's not evaluating the movie on its own merits. That's to me. And, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong about this, okay? Because I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just telling you, and I told Rob this. I said, Rob, what I'm hearing you say is this. And and I'm again, I'm not trying to speak for you. I'm just telling you what my impressions are of what you're saying. Because when Rob was talking about that, I said to Rob, like, Rob, look, it, it basically sounds like you brought baggage to the movie that says, 
for this to be good, you got to be this. This is what this movie needs to be. This is how James Bond has to be in this movie. And it's like, by doing that, you're not evaluating the movie in its own merits. Instead of evaluating the movie for what it is, you're evaluating the movie based on the expectations you brought into it. Say, James Bond's got to say this, and he's got to act this way. And if he doesn't act this way, then I'm not going to be happy with it. And I think, you know, I've been saying a lot lately, speculation is great, but don't let speculation turn into expectation because expectation is the killer of joy when it comes to movies. That being said, you know, there's also room, like you're saying, you still thought it was a really good movie, but it kind of bothered you that he wasn't acting the way you thought. See, I do that too, right? Just look at Spider-Man. Like, I don't like the fact that Tom Holland's Spider-Man has been turned into Iron Man Jr., I don't like that detail, but even though I really don't like that detail, I don't let that affect my judgment or my overall enjoyment of the Spider-Man movie so far. I love Homecoming and Far From Home, and I'm really excited for No Way Home. Yes, I don't like that they're making Spider-Man Iron Man Jr., but I do not, al- I do not allow that expectation of mine to stop me from just evaluating and judging the movies that I watch on their own merits. And when I take that nitpick of mine that really does bother me, when I take that nitpick of mine that I don't like they make Spider-Man, Iron Man Jr., I take that nitpick and I put it aside when I watch the movie, and then I just evaluate and enjoy the movie on its own merits. And that's why I can really hate that they make Spider-Man, Iron Man Jr., and yet still love Homecoming. And still really enjoy No Way Home. Or uh, Far From Home, I should say. Uh, Hopefully, I'll really enjoy No Way Home as well. So, it seems like you've done that as well. Because you're saying, man, I don't like that they've got Bond this way. But it's a really good movie and I enjoy it. So, it sounds like you're doing that too. And I, I think more film fans should approach things that way. It's cool to have things that you're looking for. Like, when I went into The Last Jedi... Because I like The Last Jedi. I don't love The Last Jedi. I hate The Rise of Skywalker, but I like The Last Jedi. But you, if you follow me for any period of time, you know that I went into The Last Jedi saying, I want to see Luke Skywalker with eight lightsabers, like slaughtering a thousand stormtroopers, just wrecking shop on fools, right? Like I was really excited about that. The movie didn't do that. It didn't give me that thing I was looking for. But I was able to take my expectations, put them aside, and just evaluate the movie on its own merits. And I thought overall the good far outweighed the bad in that movie. There is bad in that movie, but I, I overall I enjoyed it. I couldn't say the same thing about The Rise of Skywalker, but I still overall enjoyed it. But anyway, I, I, I wish more film fans would do that, Arturo, the way you seem to be doing that as well. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, man. Uh, next up, uh, Philip Morino writes... James Bond No Time to Die was honestly my favorite movie experience this year. Yes, even more than Shang-Chi. Sorry, John. It's okay, man. If that's if you liked it more than Shang-Chi, that's totally good, dude. That's totally good. Uh, anyway, I'll rank it as my number two favorite Bond film behind Skyfall. Any, uh, any... Anyway, by the way, Rob, uh, did I hear you right? And Rob's not here, unfortunately, but let's see if I answer. Uh, by the way, Rob, did I hear you right? Did you say you didn't like Skyfall? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, it's funny because... I remember when Rob and I, uh, not a lot of people know that Rob's not a huge fan of Skyfall, which is a is a big movie to a lot of uh, film fans. I remember a lot of people were writing in the live chat as he and I were debating No Time to Die, and he kind of slipped in there that, you know, he didn't like the Skyfall movie. Even and then a lot of the live comments were like, what, wait, what? Did he just say he didn't like Skyfall? Hey, listen, guys, that's the subjectivity of movies. 
right? The fact that Rob isn't a big fan of Skyfall doesn't take away anything, nor does it delegitimize at all that you love Skyfall. It doesn't take away from the fact that to you, it's your favorite Bond movie. That's fine. You can feel that way, and Rob can feel the way he feels about it, and we're all still film fans together. See how that works? It's great. You know, there are movies that Rob loves that he's totally confounded that I don't, and vice versa, but that's, if we're all honest, that's how it is for all film fandom. And if we all understand that all movies are subjective and that we all have different experiences with movies, that's perfectly good. So, yes, Rob doesn't seem to be a big fan of Skyfall, but that's what's wrong with that. I'm not a big fan of uh, the original Blade Runner. I'm not a big fan of the original Halloween. There's a couple of big popular films I don't like, but we all have our different experiences, Philip. Anyway, thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, dude. It's totally cool, even if you liked it more than Shang-Chi. All right, uh, next up. Oh, and our final question today comes to us from Jose Hernandez, who writes... I have seen Call Me By Your Name. We were talking about Timothy Chalamet a little bit earlier today and just how most people have not seen Call Me By Your Name or uh, his other movie he did with Steve Carell called Beautiful Boy. Like these, Those are the two movies, by the way. When I say that I think Timothy Chalamet has is the one actor today that I believe has at least the potential, the potential to be the next Daniel Day-Lewis. It, it's really built on those two movies. Anyway, I have seen Call Me By Your Name and Beautiful Boy, where Timothy Chalamet uh, perform, perform, where Timothy Chalamet performed was incredible. Probably meant performance. Where Timothy Chalamet's performance was incredible, and I went to the red carpet for The King, I was mentioning that one earlier today too, where I had the chance to meet Timothy Chalamet. That's awesome. I'm excited to see what he does as Willy Wonka. Yeah, earlier today on the John Campia Show, what Jose is referring to is we, we were talking about that the first image came out. Timothy Chalamet jumped on Instagram, released the first picture of him as a younger Willy Wonka. And it's a great image. It's just an image. It doesn't mean the movie's going to be good or bad, but the image was great. And it looked fantastic. And I'll tell you what, there's no other actor in the world right now. Like, my favorite actor in the world is still Russell Crowe. Uh, right up there with him is Chiwetel Ejiofor, um, a, a bunch of others. But Timothy Chalamet is the one I've got my eye on the most. You know, I just, I just think this guy, there is no theoretical limit to how good this kid can be. And he's only getting better. So I'm very, very curious to see. Has he hit a wall? Is he as good as he's going to get? Or are we going to watch him in this Willy Wonka movie and see him even getting better? Are we going to see his mutant acting powers growing even more? Will he become Omega level? You know, for those of you who understand, no X-Men. Will he become Omega level with his acting mutant power? Will he hit that level? Maybe yes, maybe no. We'll have to wait and see. Anyway, guys, that'll do it. For this installment of the companion videos, thank you so much for tuning in and joining us as we talk about these fun subjects. Big thank you to all you guys who sent in these topics. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported our channel as you did it. And all of us involved here at the John Campy Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Now, there are more questions that have been sent in, but they all got sent in, I believe, after the show was done today. So we'll pick up with all the new questions on the John Campy Show tomorrow. Make sure you guys tune in and join us for that. Uh, anyway, guys, remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>